Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Will. Thank you. That was... Thank you very much. <laughs> well, um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about fathers today. Um, one little boy was asked to define Father's Day, and he said, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't have to spend as much money. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, um, I remember growing up and asking my dad for money at different times, and every time I'd ask him for money, most every time, I, now I didn't always get it, but what I got was his life story. <laughs> And if I did get some money, it was only after um, I got explained to how I was single-handedly bankrupting him and the family. And so now that he's a grandfather, though, it's crazy. Every time I, he's around my kids, um, I, get, I see fives getting thrown around like it's bubble gum. Yeah, I'm telling you. And here's, his li- here's the line. Here's what he likes to say to him. He said, everybody needs to have some money in their pocket. That's, that's what he'll say to him, and um, I agree with that. I agree with that. Cause so as, as soon as uh, he gives them the money, I call him over and I snatch it. <laughs> Cause that's my money. I've been waiting 25 years for that money. That's mine. That's right. <laughs> but seriously, fatherhood and uh, and sonship are uh, are tough things. They can be tough, but uh, they're also a real blessing. And today we're gonna we're gonna honor our earthly fathers, but more importantly and above everything else, we're gonna we're we're here to to glorify our heavenly Father. And so that's what I want to attempt to do as we as we discuss a topic that I think is pretty tough. It's a tough topic. It's one that uh, doesn't get discussed very much from the pulpit because it doesn't attract crowds. It doesn't leave uh, the the masses of people feel, feeling all warm and fuzzy about God. And uh, so what usually happens is, is this as- aspect gets ignored in favor of uh, positive or happy aspects about God. But the truth is, what we're talking about today, when we're talking about it in its proper context, it is positive. It is a positive aspect. So what I want us to look at today is discipline. The discipline of God and the discipline of our earthly fathers. All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, let's, um, let's all stand. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I don't know if any of you listen to Life Song or not on Sundays, but we've been in Hebrews for well over a year, and we've been talking about this very topic for the last several weeks. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it today, because it's been fresh on my mind. But to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 4. Starting in verse 4. It says, You have not yet resisted to the point of, of shedding blood in in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being our Father. And God, as we come today to the table to dine on your word, Lord, I pray today that we recognize who you are and what you have done for us. I pray that through the preaching of this text today that that we're able to see that you are a father to your children, but you're a loving father. And because you're a loving father, you're obligated to discipline us. So, Lord, I pray that that, uh, everyone here today is able to see just how much you love us. God, I pray if there are any amongst us today who don't have a real relationship with Jesus, who are not sons, but are who are still illegitimate children, God, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts and their ears to the truth today. We love you. We honor you. And above all, we glorify you now in the holy and righteous and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, little Johnny, we're going to start out with the illustration. Little Johnny was, uh, he was walking to school one morning and uh, he walked by this construction site uh, right close to his house. And, and it, it was on a cliff. This construction site's on a cliff. And so right next to that cliff, as he's walking by, he sees that right there on the cliff, on the very edge, is a, uh, is a porta john porta potty So like most young kids his age, 8, 9, 10 years old, he, he, his mind starts racing. So he goes up to that porta john and he looks over that cliff, and he looks back at it, and he pushes it down. And he watches it roll all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And then he just walks off, goes to school. It's over with. It's done. He watched it roll down the hill. And so he goes on to school. And um, when he gets home that afternoon, his dad's waiting on him at the door. And he said, little Johnny, I'm going to ask you a question. He said, did you, did you happen on your way to school this morning to push a porta potty down the cliff on the construction site down the road? And little Johnny sat there for a second and he thought, how in the world did he know this? So he sat there for a second. He said, well, I'm going to be honest, Dad. We, we, we studied about George Washington in school today. He said, so just like him, I can't tell a lie. He said, yeah, I did. So his dad said, well, bend over, little Johnny. I'm going to spank you. i got to whip your tail. And so he was confused. He didn't understand. He said, I didn't lie. And he, he looked at his dad. He said, Dad, George Washington's daddy didn't whip him when he admitted to chopping down the cherry tree. And he said, yeah. But George Washington's daddy wasn't in that cherry tree when he, when he chopped it down. So. All right, so verse 5. Look at verse 5. The author of Hebrews was, uh, he warns us here not to despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise when you get spanked. Well, nobody likes getting spanked. Nobody enjoys that. How many of y'all, when you were kids, when you did something wrong and it was time, you, you got in trouble, you found, your parents found out about it or whatever, and it was time to get that spanking, how many of you just, when, when your dad ripped the belt off, you just bent over and you said, Daddy, come on, all right, lay it on me, make it a good one. No. You didn't do it. You don't, I never did that. No, my kids didn't do it either. They don't do it. We don't like spankings. We don't like them. 
kids don't typically ask for them, right? They don't enjoy discipline. From a kid's point of view, discipline is what? It's bad. That's right. It's a negative thing. They say, oh, well, well, if I, if I, if I do that, I'll get whipped or, or, or I'm going to get in trouble, right? That's a child's perspective. But, but a parent's perspective, completely, totally different. We see it as, as raising our kids, child rearing, raising. And I'll tell you, my mom will tell you, I got plenty of spankings when I was a kid. I got plenty of them. And, and, and that's probably hard for y'all to believe because where are y'all laughing? I was an angel just like I am now. <laughs> but yeah, I got, I got a lot of spankings. Huh? I think we need testimony from the back row. You got something you want to say? <laughs> okay. Y'all done got me in trouble again. God. But anyway, y'all, you know, most of y'all heard this when, when y'all got spankings as a kid. This is going to hurt me. More is going to hurt you. Oh, my goodness. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it, too. Straight up lies. Straight up lies. Well, you know, I don't think it's a lie because I've said it as a kid. or I, you know, I've said it as a parent now. I've said it myself, but the problem is, is it might hurt you more than it hurt me, but it ain't going to hurt you in the same place it hurts me. That's the truth. But um, you don't understand that statement as a kid until you, until you grow up and you have your own kids and you have to discipline them yourselves. It's, it's not an enjoyable experience to discipline your kids. And God feels the same way. He does not enjoy disciplining us. All right. Lamentations 3. Verses 31 to 33, and, and uh, it's there. Yeah, it's up on the screen. For the Lord will not reject forever, for if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness, for he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. So that right there is God's heart. He doesn't take pleasure in disciplining his children. But sometimes we get this picture of God that, that, that he's, uh, he's just sitting up on his throne with a stick in his hand waiting for one of us to mess up so he can hit us on the head or he can spank us. But, but look, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. He does it because he knows it's necessary, right? He, he's obligated himself in his word to discipline us, to do it. And we'll talk about that a lot more a little bit later on. But uh, verses 5 and 6 in our text uh, says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So let's, let's get a clear picture of this word discipline. It's uh, the Greek word pedia, all right? And here's what it means. It means training or instructing. So, so it's, a, it's a method that, that helps us mature and grow and develop. So discipline's not, not a word that's, that's synonymous with punishment. It's, it wasn't intended to be punishment. And the author says in verse 6, he said that discipline is what? It's really a sign of God's love. It's a sign of God's love. So it identifies you as being God's child. And, and just like a good parent, God is one who disciplines his kids because he loves them, right? They're his and he loves them. So he's a good father and he will discipline his kids. Marty, 
you ever been to the grocery store and you and you got your basket and you, and you come around the corner and you see a family over there and you see some wild kids chunking ketchup and mayonnaise on the ground and busting it up? Do you go over there and discipline that kid? No, why? Because it's not your kid. That's right. God doesn't discipline those who aren't his children. He does not. He will not discipline those who aren't his kids. The Bible teaches that you're either a child of God or a child of Satan. And look, if you're not a child of God, he's not going to discipline you. He's not. He, he will not spank you. God is a perfect father. He's committed to his kids. He loves them so much that he's going to do whatever is necessary to train them, to mold them into the image of Christ. That's what he's obligated himself in his word, to mold us into the image of Christ. So God won't ever abandon his kids. He, he won't ever neglect them. He's not... Also, he's not going to shy away or lessen his responsibility or his duty as a parent to mold us, to discipline us. In, um, in the Old Testament, in those times, people tended to look at, at things like, uh, like droughts and, um, and uh, attacks from the enemy and famine. They, they, they tend to look at those things as signs of displeasure from God. And uh, the, the audience here, the author in, in Hebrews is writing to, these, these are Jewish Christians, and they've gone through some pretty tough persecution at this point. They were, they were being disowned by their families. Um, they, a lot of them were uh, considering going back to Judaism. And I think the tendency of these people were, were to look at all this junk they were going through, all this disownment that was happening, and all these people turning their backs on him and all, on them, and all this uh, uh, persecution they were going through, and they thought God wasn't pleased with them. But what the writers pointed out in the text is that discipline's not always a sign that you're not right with God. Discipline is not always a sign that you're not right with God, but it is always a sign that you are a child of God. It's a sign that you're his son, that you're his child, that he loves you, and uh, that he's uh, using whatever difficulties that you're going through to, to train you and to mold you into the image of Christ. So, so your heavenly father loves you enough to do what's absolutely necessary in your life to, to train you and to grow you up. That's, that's how much he loves you. Now, God's discipline comes in, in different ways. There's various levels or, or various uh, forms of his discipline, and it comes for different reasons. So I want to look at four of those this morning. Um, so if you're taking notes, here's, here's finally point one. Uh, point one, sometimes the discipline of God is for correction. Sometimes God's discipline is for correction. And we see that in the life of Jonah. Jonah was um, called by God to preach, to go and tell the people in Nineveh to repent. And his thought process was, um, um, well, he refused to do it. And his thought process was, God, um, you're a good God. You're a gracious God. And if I go tell them to repent, they will. So I don't want to. I want to see them burn in hell. I mean, that was his thought process. He would have rather seen them burn in hell than to repent. And so... Um, How'd you like to have a pastor like him? 
Yeah. Um, he didn't want to warn them. He, he wanted them, uh, he wanted them to, to get the, the, the discipline or the punishment that was coming their way. So he rebelled against God and he ran away. He fled and he went the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. He went, uh, he jumped on a boat and started heading to Tarshish and, um, God, uh, God disciplines him on the boat. He corrects him. He sends the first thing he does is he sends a storm, um, and uh, it, it was a rough storm. It was about to capsize the boat, and uh, the the other men on the boat they started drawing straws. They realized that Jonah is is the one that's caused the storm, and uh, he had to, he, right there. I'm convinced that he had the opportunity to repent at that point right there. And had he repented, the storm would have stopped, and uh, and, and things would have been different. But he was stubborn, just like we are, and uh, he didn't repent. He just told the men, he said, throw, throw me overboard. Just throw me overboard. So he would have rather died than obey God. That's how disobedient he was. But God said, uh-uh, it ain't happening. Not, 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 not today, son. It ain't, you're not getting off that easy. So he sent the big fish, the whale, to swallow him up. And uh, finally, after three days in the belly of the fish, Jonah repents. He, um, he comes to his senses and he says, all right, I'll go. I'll go to Nineveh. So he learned firsthand that God's a gracious God. So this discipline that we see, uh, or this discipline that we go through, uh, and Jonah went through, is, is a sign of God's love. He didn't give up on Jonah at all, right? He didn't give up on him. He was, he was uh, when, whenever Jonah was in rebellion there, uh, he, God, uh, God didn't give up on him. He's not going to give up on us in our rebellion. He just, if you're his child, he's not going to let you go. Right. If you're if you're his son, he's not going to leave you to continue heading down the wrong path. He won't do it. He he loves us enough to correct us. He he loves us enough to train us because he wants what's best for us. Right. In the same way with with uh, with my kids and and, and I'm sure with you and your kids. Um, how many of you had you know when your kids were toddlers they learned how to walk a you had a stove on, and they, they start running towards the stove. What do you do? Yeah, you, you try to teach them that it's hot. You tell them, but they don't listen. They don't care. So they run towards the stove, and, and, and a lot of times, if you're, if you're not as close as they are to the stove, what are you going to do? You're going to holler, scream, do whatever you can to get their attention so they don't touch the stove. You're going to spank them if you have to, and it's, it's, it's not being mean that you do that. It's because you're trying to save them from pain. Did you know them touching the eye of the stove? So a child who who, who doesn't have a parent, a child that, uh, or or maybe um, they do have a parent and he's and, and their parents selfish or they don't care. Uh, they let their kids do whatever they want. You know, they they uh, let them stay out as late as they want, or they don't. Uh, they they let them touch the stove, whatever. It, it, you know, a loving parent is going to train and correct their child, right? A loving parent will train and correct their child. Look at verse 8. Hebrews, look at verse 8. The writer says, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you're living in sin and you're not being disciplined, you're not being corrected, what does that mean? Yeah. That's a tough one to hear. Because how many times have we really feel like we've been... Or, or how many people do we see that, that, that we think, oh, they, you know, their life is perfect, everything's going good, everything is great for them, right? 
and maybe they even call themselves Christians. Look, if, if that's the case and they're not having any struggles or any hard times or, or they're not getting spanked by God, that's red flags. Really, that's red flags that they're illegitimate. That's what he says. You might call yourself a Christian, but God loves his kids enough to discipline them. He loves his kids enough to discipline them when they're in sin and when they're in rebellion. So when you're in rebellion, what he's going to do is he's going to allow you to face the consequences of your sin. He will. And, and, and that's all out of love. That's all out of his love for you. Just like you love your kids enough to teach them and to train them, God's no different. God is no different. So um, I do want to explain, stop a minute and explain the difference between discipline and punishment. There's a difference. There's a big difference between God's correction, God's discipline, and his judgmental punishment. As children of God, as Christians... Our punishment for sin was paid for in full by Jesus on the cross. God will not impose, ever impose a double payment for sin on us. So even though we deserve it, even though we might deserve to, to receive God's wrath because of our sin, as children of God, we're never going to have to face that punishment because Jesus faced it for us. So... Neither God's love nor God's justice is going to allow him to impose double payment on us. He will not require payment for what Jesus has already paid for. If he did, that that really make him dishonest, if you think about it. It would. So in discipline, God is not acting as a judge, but as a father. Right? A loving father. As a judge, he's going to judge sinners, those who haven't received Christ. But in discipline and in his correction, he's acting as a loving father, uh, a loving heavenly father. And he's sometimes going to let us experience the painful consequences of our sin. It's just the facts. Paul, Paul said that uh, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. So sometimes... Like in the case of Jonah here, he's even going to orchestrate it because he loves us enough to correct us. And because God loves his children so much, I'm convinced of this. And I know we talk about it. We've heard sermons about this. But I'm, I'm convinced that because God loves his children so much, it is very hard for a believer to backslide. It's not impossible. I think it's possible. But it's difficult. It's real hard. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit is, is so strong in a believer's life that you're going to be miserable if you sin. You're going to be miserable living in sin if you're a believer. So if you're not a believer, you don't have to deal with conviction. You don't have to deal with the Holy Spirit because you don't. it's not a part of your life. So an unbeliever won't be miserable in their sin. They won't. They actually love their sin, Right? So either you have, it's, it's one of two cases, either you have too much of the Lord to enjoy the world, or you had too much of the world to enjoy the Lord. Sometimes God's discipline is for the, for the purpose of correction. All right, here's the second point. Other times, God's discipline is for instruction. God's discipline is for instruction. 
We see that in, uh, in the case of Job, Job's life. We know Job wasn't in any kind of rebellion. Job wasn't uh, in sin. He was, he was a righteous man, is what uh, the Bible says. But God allowed him to go through some pretty heavy stuff. He lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his family, his possessions, his friends. But listen to what he said at the end of it all. Job 42, he says, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I didn't, that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retreat or I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. So he's saying, he said, I heard about you, God, but now I know you. Through his suffering, Job got this pretty big time look at God, right? He got this pretty glorious view of who God really was through his suffering. He learned about God's holiness through all of it. He learned about God's power, his, his God's care, God's counsel, and, and, and ultimately God's deliverance. And he learned about it in a way he never knew before. Discipline can also teach us sympathy for other people. It did Job. Job's experience is a perfect illustration of that. In verse 10 of Job 42, it says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. So through all his trouble, through all of his problems, he was able to see God more clearly, which then enabled him to see himself more clearly, which then enabled him to see others more clearly. Through his life, through Job's life, we understand that that discipline, it, it, it just doesn't come to us and come into our lives when we're doing bad or we're doing poorly. It might come in our lives when we think we're doing pretty well. Job was a righteous man. Right, he was a he was a uh, spiritual leader, spiritual champion. Right, but God knew better. He knew through the challenges and through the stress that Job was about to to face, and all that he allowed him to endure. He knew that it would take Job to new levels of spirituality. It would take him to uh, to places Job didn't even know existed on a spiritual level. So sometimes discipline is for, for correction. Sometimes it's for instruction. Here's point number three. Sometimes God's discipline is for prevention. Sometimes God's discipline is for prevention. And we see that in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul talks about, he talks about uh, an experience being taken up into heaven. And it was uh, it was there where he saw um, what what no person no man had ever seen before. What uh, he saw the glory of heaven. No no eyes had ever seen that before. And he said what he saw was so glorious that human words couldn't even express it or explain it or describe it. And he goes on later on in that chapter and says because of his revelation he was inflicted with a thorn in his flesh. And, and the purpose of that thorn in the flesh, we don't, we don't know exactly what it was, what the, what the thorn was, but, but we know its purpose was to prevent Paul from becoming prideful. The, that thorn was a constant reminder every single day in his life that he was just a man. 
Even though he had done some miraculous things in the name of Jesus, he wasn't something special. He was just a man. He had weakness. And, and he was a man just, just like every other man. He, he needed to be dependent upon the grace of God. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. So the thorn was a constant reminder to him not to become prideful. It was a constant reminder of the, of the um, sufficiency of God's grace. So in his weakness, God would be strong, right? So the discipline of God, sometimes for correction, it's sometimes for instruction, it's sometimes for, preve- for prevention. Here's the last point. Sometimes God's discipline is for motivation. Sometimes God's discipline is for motivation. And we see this in the early church, in the book of Acts. Jesus told the uh, disciples, he said, uh, he told them to wait in Jerusalem, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And uh, once they received the Holy Spirit, they would have received the power to be his witnesses in, Jer- in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. So without going really deep into detail about that, that's another sermon. But uh, we know the church was, uh, was birthed in Acts 2 and uh, it started growing. Great things were happening in Jerusalem. But the problem was it was all happening in Jerusalem. They weren't spreading out any farther. So after this period of time, God sends persecution on, on, on them in Jerusalem. And a part of it was to, to motivate them to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem. And so he wanted to get them out of their comfort zones. So when the persecution comes, then, then that's when we see the, the church going to Judea. And the church going down to Samaria and the church going into the uttermost, uttermost parts of the world. And so God does that in our lives, too, doesn't he? He does. He, you know, he, he'll, he'll send discipline and he'll train us by, by sending something into our lives to, to get us motivated, to break us out of our comfort zones. Because how easily do we get in ruts? Even though we're doing great things in the name of the Lord... And we're seeing growth in people's lives and in our own lives. We can still get caught in a rut. And in ruts where everything in our life seems great, you know, we got a great church, we got great friends, we got a good place, we're at a good place in our jobs, everything's going good, right? And then boom, God comes in through some situation uh, and He uses it to get us moving, to get us going. and the reason is the reason is because he wants us moving in different directions. He wants us going. He doesn't want us to get. Um, he doesn't want us getting fat and happy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us being comfortable Christians. So sometimes he'll come and he'll use things like like a job transfer or or he'll put you in a new neighborhood. He'll put you in a new church to move you. I mean, he might be trying to move some of you now. Could he be shaking you up, shaking your world up? Could he be trying to move you out of your comfort zone? Because that's the worst place you can be in is in a comfort zone. That's the worst place you can be in as a Christian. Maybe he's trying to move you in a different area in your ministry that requires faith and your trusting of him. Are you allowing him to lead you into something unknown? He may come and bring some discipline to motivate you to get you moving. 
So out of his love for us, God's going to allow us to go through training in order to work in our lives. Uh, and, and he'll do it for, for one or for all of these reasons. He'll do it to, to correct us in our sin. He'll do it to instruct us. He'll do it to, uh, to motivate or to, to prevent and to motivate. So what's the result, the ultimate result of discipline? What's the ultimate result of all of it? Yeah. Well, the writer, look at verse 10. For they disciplined us, talking about earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines for our good so that we may share his holiness. So obviously as believers, we are positionally holy. Right? We're positionally holy as believers because of what Jesus did at the cross. But God also wants us to be holy practically. He wants us to live holy. So he'll discipline us to make us holy, to mold us into the image of Christ because that's what he obligated himself to do. Once we're believers, that's when sanctification comes into our lives. And it's all for the purpose of molding us into the image of Christ. So it's like this. Uh, imagine that you, that you go out and you go mining for gold. All right? You go mining for some gold and you, and you find this real big, huge, massive gold nugget. And you get fired up and excited because you know you're rich. You just hit the jackpot. You found this gold nugget. And, and you could have everything you ever want. You're going to go quit your job. So now, now you're rich. But, but here's the thing. The deepest value of the gold is not going to be found until the gold's refined. So the gold's got to go into the fire. You got to take it and you got to throw it into the fire. And as it sits in that fire and as that fire gets hot and it heats up in, in that environment, all those impurities are going to rise to the top and all those worthless particles will, uh, will burn off. So everything at that point that devalues the gold is removed. So when the gold comes out of the fire, it comes out more valuable than it went in. So listen to this. How does the goldsmith know when the gold's reached the point of purity? Exactly. What Alyssa said, the goldsmith knows the gold has reached the point of purity because he looks at the gold and he can see his reflection in it. So with God... He disciplines us. His discipline is just like that fire the gold sits in. We are as valuable as gold, even more valuable than gold. But we've got to be refined. We've got to be refined. And God refines us through disciplining us so that one day he looks at us and he sees the image of Christ. A loving father says to his kids, he says, because I love you, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to, uh, and when necessary, I'm going to correct you and I'm going to spank you. So if you're saved, if you're a child of God, then, then you have a, a loving father, a loving heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you. So he's going to discipline you and he's going to discipline you because he wants to get the best out of you. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, 
what you got to understand is God is not your father. He is not your father. He's your creator, but he's not your father. So the way to enter into that relationship where, where God adopts you into his family as his son is by receiving Christ by faith and repenting of your sin. So, so if you're not a Christian, if you haven't received Jesus, then God's not your father and you remain in your sin, right? But what he will be is your judge. He's your creator and he will be your judge if he's not your father. And the day is going to come, the day is coming where you're going to stand face to face with him. And so you got to ask yourself, will he be your father or will he be your judge when you face him? He can become your father today. But you got to understand who you are. You have to understand that, that, that you are a sinner, right? You're a sinner. You, you're, the Bible says you're the enemy of God. And your father is the devil. I'm not making that up. I don't say that. That's what the Bible says. So the devil, Jesus says the devil is a thief and a robber, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's going to do everything to drag you down to hell with him. He knows he's lost, and he knows that's where he's going, and he's going to do everything he can to drag you down with him. He's like a drug dealer. He wants to see you hooked on sin, and he's going to supply your habit as long as you allow him to. So as long as you do that, as long as you, he is your father, you'll never be free, ever. But God, in his love, sent his only son. He sent him into the world, and what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life sinless life. He lived perfectly, never sinning. He faced the devil. He defeated his temptation. He was beaten and he was mocked and he was spit on. Uh, he was hung from a cross all for the purpose of taking the punishment of God. All for that purpose. He, di he died. He was buried. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. And, and because of that, now because of that, we can be sons. We can be children of God. He can be our father. He can be your daddy. Just repent and believe. Repent of your sin and believe on Jesus. Believe he is who God said he was. And you can do it today if you've never done it in your life. And what better way than on Father's Day to celebrate and remember our earthly fathers than for you to come to Christ and know God is your heavenly father. You can do that today. Let's pray. Father... Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how perfect it is. And, and sometimes it's hard to hear some of these things that, that, that we've grown up believing. We've grown up um, believing that uh, if we go through struggles and hard times that, that, that maybe you're mad at us. But that's not the case at all. God, we should rejoice in those times because those times are proof that we are your sons. Those times are proof that, that we are your children because you allow your children to get spanked. You spank your children in order to teach us and train us. So, God, I thank you for all the spankings in my life. I do because it lets me know that you're my father and you love me enough to discipline me, to spank me, so that I will look in the end just like Jesus. 
God, I pray now that if there be any amongst us that you intend to save today, God, I pray that we see your glory at work. But overall, we just want your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we as we start real quick, this, this time of invitation, um, as Ms. Brenda plays, you can all stand up. Um, if, um, if you've never received Christ, I, w- I would say, let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about it. Don't, don't go home today. Don't, don't leave this building today without having a conversation about it. Um, if you've been visiting, you want to feel like God's calling you to, to join Crossway. If you're not a member, we can talk about that, talk about ba- uh, baptism, or if you just want to pray. But as Ms. Brenda plays and we have his time of invitation, I'd say respond now.